I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Our city is a bustling, vibrant place with lots of human activity. But if you stop and pay attention, you'll see all sorts of wildlife living among us. Foxes, deer, even armadillos call Nashville home. See that stray cat on your street? Chances are they are not alone. How can we learn about the animals that live in our neighborhoods and learn how to share space with them safely and humanely? Later this hour, we'll take you out to visit a colony of cats and invite wildlife experts to share some guidance on coexisting with the creatures in our backyards. But first, for many music fans, the wait ended this week. Bonnaroo revealed its lineup. The four-day festival is gearing up for mid-June on the farm in Manchester. As always, there's a lot to dig into with the list of roughly, get this, 100 performers. And they range from the biggest national names to some lesser-known, though still-loved, Tennessee bands. Now, I'm not going to name drop that band quite yet. If you know, you know. Joining me now to break down the Bonnaroo lineup is Justin Barney, assistant program director at our sister music station, WNXP. Justin, welcome back to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having me, Cleo. Really good to have you with us. Okay, so the first thing most of us look at are the headlines. Mm -hmm. Those are the big neon names that jump out from the poster. Who is Bonnaroo giving top billing to this summer? So there's four nights, so there's four, well, there's five headliners. So first night, there's Zed's Dead and Liquid Stranger, and then Kendrick Lamar, mm. Odessa, and the last night is going to be Foo Fighters. Wow. Of these, I think the most interesting story here is Foo Fighters. This will be their only their third performance after the passing of their drummer, Taylor Hawkins. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, this booking is... Is like a chance for Foo Fighters to establish their legacy. I mean, they are they're a band that's been around since like 1994. There, if you look at the over 100 bands here, they're basically the only one who has existed for 30 years. And to exist for 30 years and get top booking, it's one of those things that like when somebody will ask me like, who are these bands that are playing now that will remember 50 years? It's yeah. like this booking is where Foo Fighters is like they're up there with like the all timer bands and they have so much goodwill right now. And as a band, you go through like ups and downs and they're on a high right now. And I think that like that booking will be really special, especially like the comeback after Taylor Hawkins and all that. Like that's the one. And then Kendrick Lamar is playing. I mean, yeah. Who doesn't want to see Kendrick at this point? Like in his career, he is a performance artist. Those shows he puts a ton into. Mm -hmm. 
have you seen Kendrick perform at a festival? I've seen him perform three weeks after he dropped Good Kid, Mad City, when I lived in Albuquerque, New I Mexico. Bet, I bet it was a performance. It was a performance, but I have to say he's gotten a lot better since then. Yes, and he is, like, coming off this tour, he's wearing this, like, this crown of diamonds and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a performance of a performance for Kendrick Lamar and just a man who's at the top of his game coming off Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And then you got Odessa, Zedstead, and Liquid Stranger, these EDM and electronic bands that just, like, draw huge crowds at Bonnaroo. So what can you say about the role these headliners play, both for festival goers and also for the organizers? Well, I I think that, like, the headliners are a chance for the festival itself to establish its identity. And, like, I think, like, looking at this lineup, three of the five are electronic and uh, EDM DJs. Mm -hmm. I mean, Zed's Dead, Liquid Stranger, Odessa, these are are EDM bands. And, like, the the music that they make is stuff that, like, you're not going to, like, listen to at, like, noon on uh, Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But these are the things that, like, I asked my buddy last year, I was like, I was like coming out of that. I was like, "What? What was like? What's the greatest show? What's the greatest thing that you saw when you're there?" And he was like, "Those the EDM bands and like those DJs. That's the kind of stuff that works in a crowd. There's there's going to be like hopefully like eighty thousand people there. And when you hear Odessa play to eighty thousand people, that's the kind of stuff that just like moves through you and really works. And it's a thing that Bonnaroo has done since two thousand two. Their identity has kind of have shifted more to booking these bands because." Mm. People go to see them. People love the show. And that is, you know, seeing those bands, like, that's what they're doing. They're establishing a little identity here and bringing, drawing those crowds. Now, you just gave us a rough estimate about attendance, right? I, yes. I want to stay on the business <laughs> side of the industry. Stay on the business side yeah. for a minute. You know, what can you say about Bonnaroo's attendance and what we might watch for as a sign of success? Yeah, Bonnaroo is one of these festivals that is, it's in the middle of a field in order to have as many people as humanly possible there. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, not, it's not like, like Pitchfork is like in a tiny park or like a something, you know, there are other festivals that are in cities that are contained. This is intentionally out there to get as many people as possible. They, you know, their attendance has grown since 2002 and they, they're kind of like, they kind of had it at 80,000 for a while. In 2019, they hit their high watermark. They hit 100,000 people wow. going to Bonnaroo in 2019. 2020, yeah. Zero. Mm-hmm. 2021, zero. Last year they came back and it was a paltry 40,000. And so this will be a really a great chance for everyone to see, like, does it come back? Are they going to get 80,000, which is their standard? Or is it going to be kind of, you know, a slouch back to to getting there? We'll we'll be watching to find out what happens there. Well, having Kendrick Lamar and Foo Fighters definitely helps draw that attendance. That's up. why you booked those bands. That's right. That's right. Okay, so when you first saw the lineup this year, I know you were looking at the local and regional names that will be playing. Looking at it that way, yeah. Walk us through who stands out to you. Well, I, I think that it's. I think that it's really interesting that Bonnaroo still has this regional identity because Bonnaroo is kind of like the first it was, it was like the platform for music festivals. You know, okay, like in 2002, like there weren't that many summer festivals. And now there's like all of these summer festivals and Bonnaroo has established itself with this national identity. Like people come from across the country to go to Bonnaroo. But still, if you look at this lineup, there's so much regional stuff on it. I mean, they got Paramore, they got Tyler Childers, they got mm. Diarrhea Planet, they got Three Six Mafia and Cheryl Crow, all these bands that are like a stone's throw away from Manchester, they're booking. And, and that, you know, that makes sense for for bookers of a festival because you don't have to fly somebody in from far away. Yeah. Also, these bands have regional following. So I, I like 
I think that is one of the most interesting things about Bonnaroo in this festival that has this national identity. I think it will always have these regional roots and it will always have this like this sense of regionality just by nature of what it is to book bands and shows. Mm. So at the top, we played some soaring guitars, blazing punk rock from a local act that's known for legendary live shows. And, you know, they're on the lineup. And I know you have some thoughts. Yeah. I'm going to let you do the honors. Who were we hearing and why do they stand out to you? At the top, we played the band Diarrhea Planet, mm-hmm. which is a fun one to say on public radio. Yeah. Um, and that Diarrhea Planet is a name that just like stuck out to me when I saw this because normally for a festival, it's a bit of like, there's a bit of forecasting with these. Sometimes you can tell if a band is going to release new music. Because they release these announcements, sometimes they come before the album announcement. So you see somebody on the lineup, and you're like, "Oh, that band might be releasing new music." And that's what like Diarrhea Planet. They haven't released music in seven years. So does this mean that we're gonna get new music from this band in between the show, or it's like they're having a moment right now? They played two shows to close down Exit In. They love performing. They're great. They got a huge following. So it's like, are they gonna be releasing new music, or are they just a good band that's having a good time right now? Hopefully, it's a little bit of both. Hopefully, it is a bit of both. All right. So let's keep working our way down the lineup poster. What about some of the bands in the teeny tiny print? Are some of them worth seeing? Absolutely, they are worth seeing. I mean, it's like it's a big thing for these festivals to have like you got the big names that are literally big names. And then you get down to like the fine print and it's kind of like, who are these bands? Unless you are like me who gets paid to listen to music. A lot of people don't know them. So um, I want to highlight some great bands in the little print. Uh, I'm I'm looking at three here. You got Amber Mark, who's just an incredible. I think that you would like Amber Mark a lot. Do you know Amber Mark? No, I don't. R&B artist, just like incredible voice, incredible vibe. Then you got Sampa the Great, who is an artist from Zambia. We've been playing her a lot on WNXP. I think she's great. But the the like the band that I would see at Bonnaroo from the fine print is the band Jupiter and Aquess. They are a, a funk band that is from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm. And this is the kind of music that, like EDM, I think it just works really well with a bunch of people. It's just like super fun. It's super interesting. And the band in the little print that I would see is Jupiter and Aquess. And I think we would love to play a song from them here. This is Nazil Momi from Z- Jupiter and Aquess. I like that. I hear hints of the classic high life artist Ebo Taylor. Absolutely. An Ebo Taylor reference? Yes. You know it. There's some Ebo Taylor. There's like Fela Kuti. Like imagine seeing that in like a crowd of thousands of people on a Mm -hmm. hot summer day. That works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now you've given us some really great recommendations. 
But I don't want to let you go before asking you, who is on the must-see list okay. for you? Okay, for me, on the must-see list, I saw one artist on here that goes simply by Diesel. Mm. Diesel is the moniker and DJ name of Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. So Shaq is like now he's put basketball aside and he is like being a DJ. This is what he does. He like loves to work a crowd. I have never seen Shaquille O'Neal perform music before, but I am telling you, I would love to. My must see Shaquille O'Neal booked at Bonnaroo. Oh, wow. If you want to check out Shaquille O'Neal and his musical prowess, just go to YouTube and check out Shaquille O'Neal and the Fushnickens. What's up, Doc? Can we rock? That'll this take you back in the day. On. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is Justin Barney, Assistant Program Director for our sister station, WNXP. You can look at the Bonnaroo lineup and actually win, enter to win passes at their site, WNXP.org. As always, Justin, this is a blast. Thanks again. Oh, thanks for having me, Clue. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll visit a cat colony in one of our public parks. Do you have feral cats in your neighborhood? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Davidson County's human population is growing, but what about our non-human population? It's not uncommon to see birds, raccoons, turtles, even armadillos in Nashville backyards. This city is also home to a large feral cat population. Now, these aren't your friendly house cats. Like other wildlife, feral cats are likely to run away if they catch sight of you. We heard about one feral cat colony that lives in a public park off of the Cumberland. And we sent our producers and self-proclaimed cat ladies, Emily Young and Magnolia McKay, to find them. Honestly, it was not too hard to find these cats. Right away, we see about four of them in the distance. There's a tabby, a few orange cats, a tortoise shell. They're not too eager to see us. But they're also not running away. They're definitely used to human beings. Hello, buddy. It's true. This colony is actually oh, taken care of by a group of people who live nearby. Yeah, so here's the little cat shelters. I mean, these are legitimate cat houses that we have here. They look like dog houses, but smaller. And near the little cat houses is a food station, just a covered platform piled with dry cat food. These cats are obviously cared for. It's almost like a little, like a little cat city back here. It is a cat city. And you can see that some of these cats have their ears clipped. That means the cats have been trapped and released. Basically, someone has taken them in to get spayed or neutered, to get their shots, and then brought them back to roam free. One of the main goals of it is to keep the population from growing. And actually, Emily's done this in her neighborhood. What really started it was when I saw a litter of cats in my backyard, and a couple of them 
are like stuck in my chain link fence. In the process of me trying to help these cats, they're of course feral and wild, and then I just couldn't sleep for days because I was thinking about these tiny kittens and they were just out in the elements. I started to just feel guilt and I thought well if I could get these kittens I could at least you know maybe I could socialize them and give them a home so that's kind of how it started but obviously where there's kittens there are adult cats um, so we ended up catching uh, 13 adult cats I mean were they feral or were oh yeah they were like beyond feral this we couldn't get even remotely this close to them they're totally wild like they even just hear a step or a crinkle in the leaves and they would take off running. So what's been interesting though, is since getting them, you know, spayed, neutered, vaccinated, and feeding them consistently, I guess, after the fact, they've become a lot friendlier, but not quite to the level of, there's a couple of them that'll let you pet them. Oh, look, here's a raccoon joining the party over there. We can Suddenly there's something in the brush and it's not just one raccoon. Oh, there's a, a herd of raccoons. Is it raccoon hour? Oh my gosh. <gasps> OMG. They're coming to take the cat food. Yes, that is the sound of raccoons chowing down on cat food. Apparently in this cat colony, raccoons are part of the family. Of raccoons and cats in this environment. This is also a raccoon sanctuary. I wonder if I wonder if they kind of take shifts because now it's like raccoon time. It's true. The cats are kind of gone out of the way, clearing space for the raccoons to take over. This park is full of wildlife: white-tailed deer and birds. And as for the cats, they're wild animals too. Most of them wouldn't be a good fit for domestic life, but. Of course, there are always exceptions. Sadly, I could just sit out here all day and watch this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's okay. Let's count the cats right now. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, hi, babe. Six. Yeah, I was about to be like, seven, eight. Oh, those are raccoons. Oh, <gasps> wait, wait, wait. Do you make a friend? <gasps> oh, you said oh my God. Hi, buddy. First one. Sweet. You're brave. Oh, you're a sweet boy. You got little sleepy eyes. You've been snoozing? <gasps> hey. As we're getting ready to leave, finally, a cat walks right up to us. It's a gray tabby. We are now officially calling Smokey. Oh yes, a purring cat is hard to resist. Trust me. And my next guests understand they've also been working to help Nashvillians learn about the cat colonies in our neighborhoods. Beth Domumbrian is the director of clinic operations and the founder of the Community Cats program at Pet Community Center. And Erica Ciccaroni started the Cat Colony Food Pantry. I want to thank you both for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Good to be here. Thank you. So great to have you both. Okay, so Beth, we just heard about a cat colony in a public park off of the Cumberland. But they're more common than most people think, right? That's right. There are cats on pretty much every street in Nashville. Every street in Nashville. Okay, so how many cats make up a cat colony? 
more than one. Okay, so two, and I, suddenly I've got a cat colony in full effect. It's just a word that means more than one cat. They they uh, roam around, and they might interact with some cats more than others, and then um, it's like a Venn diagram of okay. cats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, some people think feral cats cause all sorts of damage and are dangerous to the local ecosystem. Is that belief true? Every living being has an impact on the things around them. Humans do, too. We want to reduce that impact as much as possible. Uh, everybody does. Everybody's goal is to have less cats outside, and the most effective way we found that is to prevent the reproduction through okay. getting them spayed and neutered. Okay. Now, Erica, you're a self-proclaimed cat lady. And listen, you are in very good company. The This Is Nashville team is big on cats. Where did your love for cats come from? I mean, I've had cats my whole life since I was a little girl. Um, actually, I was allergic to cats, and I still am, and my family had to surrender their cat when I was born. I think I had a little bit of guilt for that that I've been trying to make up for the past 40 years. You've been doing a good job <laughs> at it. So how did you get started caring for feral cats? Well, first of all, I want to say that I don't really always use the term feral cats. I like the term community cats. Okay. Because a lot of community cats, the ones who do come and eat but aren't owned, they are friendly, like we just heard. So community cats encompasses all of these cats. And I also like the word community because they're part of our community. Hmm. You know, they're they're cats that people see and that some people care for. So, yeah, I like community cats. How did you get started in caring for them? <laughs> um, well, in 2020, my cat of 16 years old uh, died, and I started putting his food outside. And, uh, you know, a gray hissy boy named Scramble started coming up, and that's hmm. how it started. So how many community cats have you cared for? Uh, I'd say probably about two dozen, and I've gotten them all spayed and neutered. I got one more to do who started showing up, and he's a tough case. Okay, so community cats are a different animal, let's say. What sets them apart from your typical house cat? Well, your house cats will come up to you. They might make some biscuits. They might sit on your lap. You know, um, community cats, the more socialized ones, um, you know, they, they might sit on your stoop too and eat while you're sitting there with them. Maybe you can pet them. But then the ones who are feral, they're going to run, mm. like you said, um, and but they still need they still need food and they still need somebody looking out for them. So what's a common misconception that people have about feral cats? Well, I think that a lot of people uh, don't want them around because they think that they're they're damaging their yards. They're sitting on their cars um, and and that they're and that they're wild animals that can always fend for themselves. Mm. But that's not always the case with cats. They're not native to our continent. Uh, they're domesticating animals, even when they are wild. So um, they do need people looking out for them if they're injured, if they're sick, if they need help. Um, and I think there's also a lot of humane deterrence that people can use uh, in their yards if they don't want the cats around, that you just have to Google and find out some of those things you can do. Okay, now, Beth, what's another fact about feral cats that people may not quite understand? They often think that they're a different type of cat than their house cat, but it's they're, they are the same being, um, so they just happen to be born outside. Mm -hmm. um, people also... Uh, Assume that they belong to a neighbor and they're afraid to do anything to help the cat because they think they'll get in trouble. But it's usually not the case. Um, or or they have multiple people caring for them. My cats, I think that's the case. Now, I read a report years ago that said cats, even domesticated cats, are still like 80% wild. If a cat was coming from a loving home and suddenly was on their own, they would 
be able to make that turn that switch on to becoming feral and being able to, in a way, fend for themselves rather quickly. Have you kind of run into that, Beth? So I believe that um, unsocialized just means that they uh, view us as possible predators, and so they're avoiding us. It doesn't affect how they view other being other animals in their area. Um, and so it, it just means that they um, are more cautious around humans. Um, now that you could have a cat that's completely unsocialized, has been entire, inside its entire life, that doesn't know how to um, fend for itself outside because it hasn't been outside and hasn't used those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't, their relationship to humans doesn't necessarily correlate exactly with their relationship to other animals. Question for you. How big is the problem of, is the overpopulation of feral cats. How big is the problem? Yeah. Is it a huge problem for us or? Um, it is definitely um, a large problem. Um, we are hoping that we're making an impact <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, well, how? in what ways does the Pet Community Center help mitigate the number of feral cats out there? Uh, through spay and neuter is the number one most important thing that can happen um, because the minute you get them fixed, that's that many more that aren't going to be born. Um, Getting medical care for them, too. Um. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with cat experts, Beth DeMombrian and Erica Ciccaroni, about how to engage with feral cats in your neighborhood. You have a cat story? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, Erica, the most effective way to help feral cats or community cat colonies is to spay it and, and neuter them. But first, they have to be trapped. What are the best ways to trap of community cat, they may not be keen on human contact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Pet Community Center is an excellent resource. Um, They loan traps out. They will do a trapping workshop to teach you how to safely trap a cat and how to safely transport it to be spayed and neutered. Uh, So yeah, yeah, traps are are not exactly cheap. So that's an excellent service that the center provides. Uh, You have to get something real stinky like tuna fish or sardines, Mm. um, set the trap, stick it in there, and then just look out your window and watch and and pray a little bit that they'll go inside. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've been helping out cats for a while. Have you ever run into one that was just a little bit too clever to fall into a trap. Oh, absolutely. I got one a couple months ago, man. I was trying for a year and a half. Wow. I finally had to use something called a drop trap. That's like a Looney Tunes trap, you know, oh. pull the stick out. And the Pet Community Center loaned me a uh, a remote control so I could do it from inside. And I finally got that guy. What, He's huge. What time of day or night did this happen? Well, you want to do it when you usually feed them. And because all my community cats right now are pretty feral, I do it late at night. So I was in there. Waiting, yeah. Wow, that's dedication. (laughs) You know, Beth, sometimes folks, including myself, will see a feral cat and they'll leave food out because you don't want it to go hungry. But I want to know, is this really the best move? It's perfectly fine to feed cats. Um, You want to do it responsibly, meaning um, feed the cat, and then when it's done eating, take the food away so that you're not uh, attracting other animals up to the food. We don't want um, the cats to get in trouble with the neighbors. We don't want the raccoons or possums to get in trouble with the neighbors. And if the raccoons and possums are being drawn to your porch to get food, they might be go going to your neighbor's porch, too. Okay, so raccoons and possums are other animals that will be definitely attracted to cat food left mm-hmm. out. All right, now, Erica, you started the Cat Colony Food Pantry. What is that? Yeah, we just kicked it off, actually. In my, um, it is a food pantry that is uh 
created and uh, the inventory is from the community and we deliver food to colony caretakers in need. Why'd you start it? I started it because I found that uh, the people who care for cat colonies, especially the larger ones, are often people who don't have a lot themselves. They are uh, buying food for these cats sometimes instead of buying food for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're very stigmatized in our culture. You know, they're usually women. They're called crazy cat ladies. Mm -hmm. Sometimes their neighbors don't want them doing what they're doing. But they will, you know, buy food and care for these cats at their own expense. So there really isn't uh, our major food pantries in town don't provide for community cats. So I just saw this need and I'm doing my best to try to fill it. That's really admirable because as, as a cat owner myself, cat food is not cheap at all. Mm-mm. So what's the best way to help our community cats to, to stay fed and healthy? Well, I think that you can, you know, you can donate to the to the food pantry. We get monetary donations and we will take uh, any food that you can bring that's that's uh, in a sealed um, bag or cans. I mean, we've already delivered 200 pounds of dry food and 160 cans just in a couple weeks. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're really trying to step it up and get more people involved because it's also a way to educate people about spay and neuter. That is fantastic. Now, as we all know, development is happening. Seemingly, seemingly every in every corner of the city, there's something being developed. Beth, how are these new developments impacting the cat colonies out here in our city? Um, the studies have seen, shown that the more humans there are, um, the more cats there are, um, roughly. That's, that's just a way we estimate how many cats are in an area. Um, and it's because humans produce trash. Uh, they produce food. Mice and rats are drawn to the food. Um, and so... Cats are drawn to the mice and the food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just part of nature and eating. <laughs> um, so it does uh, mean that we will have more cats to spay and neuter. Um, and they, um, as far as the buildings coming up and down, cats' territory is about half a mile to a mile. Um, and so they adapt um, when one part of their area changes, they know where the other place, safe places are in the neighborhood, and they'll go hang out there. Okay. Now, Erica, some folks may try to domesticate cats, feral cats or kittens. Is this recommended? Um, I mean, especially adult cats, no, I do not recommend that. It may take you a year, and then the cat is still stressed and upset, and you have to let it go. I have tamed some feral kittens at six weeks old. Even that can take can take months to do. Uh, I think if I could go back in time, I would say you have if you have a great caretaker and if you're spayed and neutered and vaccinated, I think you can have a good life outside. You know. Mm-hmm. Now let's 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 look real quick. You know, today we had uh, news of a pet clinic in Cookville closing its doors for the final time. You know, Beth, how does this impact our feral cat population? The demand for spay and neuter for all dogs and cats um, is much higher than our um, vet clinics can provide right now. Um, staffing is is really hard in the vet community. Um, and so it's, it's we definitely have wait lists uh, for spay and neuter. Um, so we're we're feeling it. Mm, mm-hmm. Now, one last question. You know, listeners of the show know that I am, as my good friend says, a cat daddy. My cats like to go outside and stretch their tails, so to speak. In doing so, they may have affected the local ecosystem. Erica, is that a good thing? You know, it's, <clears throat> I'm not sure it's productive to to say that it's a good thing or a bad thing. The fact is, is that the cats exist. Um, and 
relocating them will not work. More cats will move in. Uh, Wide-scale euthanasia, whether it's humane or not, same thing. More cats will move in. The only way to control their population is to spay and neuter them and get them vaccinated so that they're they're not spreading disease among other cats, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, that that is the only way, in my opinion, that we can help wildlife. Okay. Mine are spayed, neutered, and vaccinated, so I feel much better now. Can I just say, too, that the Cat Colony Food Pantry is on Facebook and Instagram if you want to take a look and get involved. All right. I want to thank my guests, Erica Ciccaroni from the Cat Colony Food Pantry and Beth DeMumbrian from the Pet Community Center. Thank you both for being with us today, and thank you for these tips. Thank Thank you for having us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about the other animals that live in our backyards and neighborhoods and get tips on how to interact with them. What's the wildest animal you've seen in your neighborhood? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Last fall, I was up very early or extremely late, depending on your point of view. I was sitting on my porch listening to the quiet that hits our city at 3.45 a.m. Breaking the silence were some footsteps. Actually, they were hoof steps. And there, walking right down the middle of my street, was a deer, a buck to be exact. In all his regal grace and poise, he was just strutting down the street like he owned it. And on this night, he did. There were all sorts of animals in our neighborhoods and streets. Sometimes they show out like my dear friend, and sometimes you have to know where to look to find them. My next guests know where to look. Debbie Sykes is the director of the Nashville Wildlife Conservation Center, and Joe Brichetto is a writer and naturalist who runs the Sidewalk Nature blog. Debbie, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Really happy to have you both on this fun, exciting topic. Now, you know, Debbie, we were talking about feral cats before the break. Can you give us an idea of some of the other wild animals that may be living among us? Definitely. Um, Anything, really. So in Mm. Nashville, I mean, so common to see squirrels, raccoons, possums, armadillos, even like you're saying, deer, bucks. And I think there's a big disconnect because we do grow up learning about these faraway beasts, things like gorillas and elephants and Mm -hmm. chimpanzees, and they're all far away versus right in our backyard. So when people encounter animals like that, they don't actually expect to find them because they think, oh, wild animals, they live on other continents, not here. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so which animals are living in our yards and which ones are trying to come into our homes? That's a great question. I wouldn't say anything's necessarily trying to come into our homes. It's just they're looking for safe places. It's hard for them to survive and an attic or a basement that's going to provide a warm, safe area for them. Mm-hmm. Any animal is going to take advantage of a safe place. We'll encounter mice often, squirrels, raccoons, skunks. Those are the ones that are most getting trapped and relocated, um, which that is not great for that population of animals either. Those trap and relocated animals that live in urban communities, 
they're there because they want to be. They don't want to be in the woods. They don't know how to survive in the woods. So when we trap and relocate those, they don't do so well. So if you run into a raccoon, know that this raccoon has decided to be a city slicker. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Now, now Joe, your eyes are wide open all the time. What animals have you run into in your neighborhood? Okay, well, I try to record. I want to get to know every plant and animal in my entire neighborhood. Hmm. The more I know, the more I know what they need and how I can plug in and help and get others to help too. So this morning, I just checked on my iNaturalist database and I filtered out. uh, These are all the nature observations that I record online. And I filtered out for just the critters. And so far, there's 418 separate different species that I've recorded just with the phone. Now, that doesn't count the ones that I hear with my ears and I don't catch, but I see so many things every day. And like you, well, I get up at like four o'clock in the morning. So I see the pattern of how the morning starts season after season, year after year. Like mm. like the first birds that you hear, they're going to be cardinals and robins. But the first birds you see flying, they're going to be the crows. And they're always going southeast. I don't know why. Okay. But um, um, I see foxes about every other week. I know they're little highways. There's one right down my street. They pee on the utility pole at the end of my driveway, I'm pleased to say. Okay. Um, we also have the storm sewer, which is another little wildlife corridor. So if I'm going to see a raccoon, that's where it'll be, or a possum, or again, the foxes. Also, the interstate bridge, there's this little easement, and that's where the foxes, somewhere near there, that's where they're having their babies every year, because that's where they cross the road every time, and sometimes not successfully. Mm. It's a really busy intersection. Um, so th- those are the big kind of charismatic things. I haven't seen an armadillo yet, but it's coming, I'm sure. I know we have skunks. I can smell them. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen one yet. Um, a deer one time in 30 years. Wow. Yeah. One time. One time. Now, you know, some people get nervous or like they really freak out if they see an animal on their property because they can feel like they're in danger. Debbie, should folks be afraid of wild, of, of a wild animal in their backyard? No. <laughs> and um, I do also work with domestic dogs and cats, and you are way more likely to get bit by a dog than you are a wild animal. It takes a lot of energy for these wild animals to survive, and they're not going to waste it on a fight that they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. So if anything, I mean, think about when you walk up to some of these birds that Joe mentioned, they're going to fly away. When you you know, see a coyote and you're walking towards it, it's going to take off. So I have worked with thousands of animals and I have never been bit by them. So Okay. Yeah. We're gonna keep that street going. Now, you know, conversely some folks will see baby animals and try to help them. Is this the right move? That's a another great question. And again, this is where that disconnect comes from because when we don't know our wild animals, we don't know how they survive. And so if you're a mama bunny You can't take all of your babies with you and still survive. You're going to be bait for the predators. And so they have to leave them. And same thing with squirrels, even possums, skunks. They leave them safely until they're not going to be as much of a risk anymore. And so it's normal for them to be by themselves. And if you're concerned, we have a lot of rehabilitators, wildlife rehabilitators here in Nashville that you can always call, send a picture to and ask. Now, Joe, everything from bees to birds, even skunks, can get up close and personal in our lives. You run the blog Sidewalk Nature, and in it you teach people how to look around to find all of the nature in our areas. What inspired you to create this blog? Whoa. Well, I 
I became a naturalist about 11 years ago and thought I'd be volunteering out at Warner Park, my favorite of our metro parks. And, you know, life made other plans and I needed to stay close at home. Mm -hmm. So I've become a neighborhood naturalist. And I suddenly realized that just taking these walks on my sidewalks, and I realize I'm lucky to have sidewalks in Nashville, but taking these walks... I can track the whole year just by looking down and seeing what lands on the sidewalk. I can show people that, oh, look, this leaf here, this means, hey, there's a bur oak nearby. Or here, there's a water oak nearby. Or, you know, here's a sycamore ball. And look, you can peel it apart, and this is what the birds eat. You can just the detritus that falls or the things that grow beside the sidewalk or, oh, my gosh, in the cracks of the sidewalk. Sidewalk moss is a miracle. I mean, it can it can grow through shade or sun or drought or or rain. It's amazing. It's so resilient. So what, you know, tell me, how can like taking this time as you have to observe all of the life in our neighborhoods, how can that connect us to the greater habitat of Ah, Nashville? It's a connection. It's a total connection. Okay. So everybody thinks nature is out there. You got to go out to nature to connect and refresh and heal yourself, whatever. Fine, do it. But Nature is everywhere. It is all around us all the time, and we are part of it. Mm. All you have to do is walk out the door, and not even that. I mean, I've got, you know, assassin bugs on the shower curtain. I've got house centipedes in the kitchen sink. I've got, I had a fishing spider in a teacup one time on my kitchen counter. Wow. I shouldn't say that. That scares people. But, <laughs> but I mean, you don't even have to go outside to be connected to nature. It is already there. Just open yourself up. Open to yourself up. Now, Debbie, how does Nash- the Nashville Wildlife Conservation, how do they educate people about the nature that surrounds us? We do a lot of education outreach at the schools, the after school care programs, especially at a young age, just to help build that solid foundation. But we also try to be there, you know, constantly for the community. We'll go to different events at Centennial Park when they're hosting them so that people are seeing us over and over again. They're seeing these, we have wildlife ambassadors. They're seeing them over and over again. They're seeing what a possum is like in real life. Mm -hmm. Again, they're not coming after you. They're just trying to find their food. They're sniffing, eating their grapes and going on their way. So just really introducing them to wild animals and what they're actually like. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about wildlife in our neighborhoods and how we can coexist with nature. My guests are Debbie Sykes and Joe Brichetto. Now, Debbie, you spoke earlier about how human interference can be harmful to animals, and sometimes Mm -hmm. folks don't want to harm the animals, but they do want them off of their property. How can people get unwanted animals away from their homes? That's a great question. And I do want to make sure people understand when we are wildlife advocates, we we don't want people to live in uncomfortable situations like that. There are a lot of different solutions and really reaching out to your wildlife rehabilitators, a great way to figure out what's a good compromise because we've had to test all of these different things. For example, armadillos digging up people's lawns, just learning that when you put, you know, ghost pepper spray or cayenne pepper down on the grass, that's going to irritate them and they're going to learn, I don't want to go in that area anymore. Mm. Or if you have a raccoon in your attic, All you have to do is evict the raccoon. So you teach it that, (laughs) you know, this is not your apartment, get out, and then you close up however it got in in the first place. Okay, so say I have a problem with skunks, Mm -hmm. which can be tough Mm -hmm. to deal with, or at least smelly at the very least. (laughs) What's the best way to get them away from my home or yard? It depends on where they're at. So if they're denning 
say, on your crawl space, just making that crawl space uninhabitable, putting strobe lights down there, blasting music, making it so they don't think this is a nice, safe place to raise a family. That's usually the best thing. We find that skunks are really, you know, they have a great sniffer, so they're going after that cat food. And like they're saying, bring your cat food in at night, or skunks can't climb, so if you can just put it up high where they can't get it, you've solved that problem as well. And blasting music, I have a feeling like there's a skunk <laughs> disco going on in somebody's skunk house. Skunk EDM. <laughs> <laughs> that at Bonnaroo would be something special. Okay, now, Joe, what about smaller animals like insects, reptiles, and rodents? Some folks spray to keep them away. What do you recommend? Don't spray. Don't spray at all, ever. Oh my gosh, stop the spraying. And with the lawn care, stop doing that too. Stop with the pesticides and the herbicides and the petroleum-based fertilizers because that's that's killing the soil where everything else comes from. Everything depends upon that soil and those native plants that grow there. Mm -hmm. So if you spray, you're hurting the animals you actually want to come around. Well, People might not know they want the animals to come around. Well, mm. they had no wait. They want lightning bugs, right? And they want butterflies. Yeah. So when they're spraying for quote pests, they're missing the pests and they're hitting everyone else. Mm. How, now, how important is it to plant or harvest native plant species in our yards and neighborhoods? And how does that keep the desired animals around? There's nothing more important than native plants. That's what. That's what life is based on. Every place has its own native habitat. And Nashville's native habitat um, is based on our native plants here, our endemics and the other plants here. We've got to add more to the yard, either in our flower gardens or with shrubs or with native trees. Thank goodness for organizations like Root Nashville, who's trying to add, what is it, 500,000 trees by 2050. Mm -hmm. And most of those are native now. They're really pushing the natives. It's the native plants that have co-evolved with the creatures here, and they've developed these specialized relationships that there's no substitute for. Now, our city continues to develop, and most, most, you know, there's more habitats are being taken away from the wild animals as we continue to grow. Some folks worry about the larger mammals like coyotes and bobcats migrating into our neighborhoods. Debbie, how much of a concern is that? Well, I mean, they're already here, but (laughs) (laughs) I would say just like all these other animals, you are, you know, a coyote doesn't want to bother you. Just don't leave your small pets unattended outside. You know, if you are keeping your cat outdoors, that's detrimental for wildlife, but you have to also understand that they have now entered into that ecosystem so they can get predated upon. Um, and I, coyotes are one of my favorite mammals here in Tennessee, and I've seen them in the wild. All you have to do is really haze them and teach them that they do not want to come near you. They shouldn't be near you. So, you know, clapping your hands, screaming until they're really far away, and then they'll just learn, okay, I'm not interested in this person. They're not going to do anything for me. Coyotes are nocturnal. I could imagine somebody just making some noise on the block at 3 in the morning, and (laughs) they were like, what are you doing? I'm hazing coyotes. Well, they'll usually come out during the day when they have to, you know, if they have babies, they got to feed those babies. Mm. And, And so that's usually when people are encountering them. You're not... Well, I'm not walking my dog at three in the morning, maybe four thirty, and uh, but they're still not usually out. They tend to run away mm-hmm. from us when they see us, and especially bobcats. Bobcats will run away. Mm-hmm. They're pretty. I mean, a house cat will take on a bobcat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Secretly, I think mine has. Mm-hmm. Okay, homeowners can pretty much do what they want with their yards and their homes, but renters are much more limited. 
in what is at their disposal. Joe, do you have any tips for renters and how they can coexist with the animals around their home? Coexist? I want them to encourage the animals around their home. I mean, even just one pot on the porch with a native plant in it can make a big difference. My daughter lives in L.A., and she grew the type of milkweed that's native out there, one pot on her porch. And she texts me a picture a couple of weeks later, Mom, look what it, and it was a monarch caterpillar. So Mm. some monarch flying by found that one pot on her porch in this very urban neighborhood, laid an egg, and it hatched. We got a tweet asking, how do you get rid of moles digging up our yards? Well, I'm sorry. I'm very excited about this question. (laughs) So we did. We uh, unfortunately just lost our education mole, but we had an education mole. And um, they make these garlic steaks that you just put in the ground. Um, The good and bad news is it makes your lawn smell like garlic. So when it rains, it smells delicious, but it does deter them because of the, the strong scent. Okay. So you just kind of follow <clears throat> their path. If you just follow the directions on the garlic steaks, it will take care of it. What are some other tips? We have got, we have got about, 30 sec- about 30 seconds oh. left. Real quick, what are some tips that we can do to protect the birds in our backyards? Oh, my goodness. So the number one reasons we see them are hit they hit windows. And so just putting up those bird decals, turning off your light at nighttime for those migratory birds. And um, do you have any other tips? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the lights, the lights are a big deal for the birds and for the, and for the lightning bugs and for the whole ecosystem. But protecting birds, um, plant more native plants because not only are those plants producing fruits and seeds that the insect eaters can eat, there's going to be a million little tiny invisible bugs on those plants, even in the winter that the, that the meat-eating birds will eat. So, Joe, real quick, where can people turn to learn more about the wildlife in our city? Okay, well, Debbie and I were both in the Tennessee Naturals program. There's chapters all over the state. There are two in Middle Tennessee. But the easiest way is at your closest metro park that has a nature center and staff naturalists. They have awesome programs year-long, and they're just waiting to show you the natural world. That is wonderful education. I want to thank you both for being with us. Joe Brichetto is a writer who runs the Sidewalk Nature blog. She was joined by Debbie Sykes, the director of the Nashville Wildlife Conservation Center. Thank you again for being with us today. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Monday, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we're bringing you a special rebroadcast of our episode on Nashville's Freedom Riders. We'll be back Tuesday with a fresh new episode for you. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at This Is Nashville Nashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, Magnolia McKay, and Emily Young. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Amir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you next week, everybody, and be good to each other and those animals.